0: You know what? You're right. We got this. Hal, grab some bubble gum and some comic books. It's time to talk classics. Why are we grabbing bubble gum? Because I think of bubble gum and comic books. They're a combination thing. Are you thinking of bubble gum and trading cards? Maybe. Like,
1: are you thinking bubble gum comes in a comic book? Yeah. Is that how bubble gum comes? No. It comes in packs. The, a stork <laughs> has sex with a pack of cards <laughs> and then... Gum is born. Ooh, I like that. Bazooka Joe and a stork have sex. Okay, you picked this off. I our did list. pick this. A listener named Ariana suggested this
0: a long yes. time ago. Today we are talking about X Men versus the
1: Avengers. I just want to take your temperature on this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Can you give me the original lineup of the Avengers?
2: Uh
0: yeah. Iron Man. Uh huh, yes um it was iron man black widow hawkeye no no, no we're talking we're look we're staying in the cinematic versions oh you're these. only talking about the movies yeah
1: you don't we're talking about talk characters. about the comic books at all
0: i mean no i know the movies let's talk about the movies oh my god yeah we're, you pushed <laughs> right. back on this topic you but, were, but i think may be
1: the collateral damage when the listeners come for you if you promise <laughs> x-men versus avengers yeah it's probably a good idea to go outside of the last 22 years. Okay, we can do that, and
0: I will leave that part of it to you, but as people who are living in 2022, I think as a country, we have an idea of what the Avengers are and what they mean now, and we have an idea of what the X-Men are and what the X-Men mean now. Would you disagree
1: with that? I think that they hold separate meanings and mm-hmm. have in the comic books as well, and I think part of the magic of having the cinematic versions of these is mm-hmm. that for someone like you who has not read any or many of the comics Mm -hmm. has a version that is accessible to them. And that is what you know. And you may or may not be aware of what percentage of what you've seen on the screen is ripped from the pages of the comic book and how much of it has been adjusted as Marvel Studios has done very well, with Mm -hmm. a very high batting average. They've adjusted things from the comics into film in a way that's not 100% comic faithful, but captures the spirit of it. Yes, that's that's how I feel about it. And I think that, well, well, the the other part of that is Mm -hmm. there are people who have been reading those comic books since the early 1960s Mm
2: -hmm.
1: who have either been reading them that long or have gone back and read all of that because you have, you know, there are different versions of the X-Men. You have the 60s and then uh, Giant Size X-Men number one in 1975 where Wolverine Mm -hmm. is introduced and you get that era. You have the Dark Phoenix saga. I mean, there's so many things that have happened both separately and them coming together and fighting one another. And then, then you have the uncanny Avengers where it's sort of a mishmash, right? Which has out. I believe it's after house of M when all the mutants are eliminated and then brought back. I think it's, it's also in the fallout of the comic book civil war, which is different than the civil war in the film. I would argue that all of those are for a
0: different podcast that doesn't also have episodes about sandwiches. I think we
1: are a survey course. I say when you promise. X Men versus <laughs> Avengers. If you, unless you're real specific, mm-hmm. then you're. I think our our listeners who are smarter than both of us, either of us individually or both of us combined, yeah, probably have a a very deep encyclopedic knowledge. At least some of them sure. of the comic book versions of these characters, which is why they enjoy the movies so much because it brings those things to life. That was my experience watching all of these comic book movies, is seeing things that I had read as a child and dreamed of seeing. On screen in a meaningful way, actually brought to life. And that was, you know, there are movies that maybe don't hold up as well now, but were very exciting to see back then because we hadn't had anything like that before. Yeah. And since since the Batman movies of the late 80s and early 90s. Did you have,
0: which I, by the way, in that regard, that will be your version of this. My version of this will be, I was never a huge comic book fan growing up. I enjoyed individual ones that I would pick up and read, mostly graphic novels and one-off things. So I saw all of these stories for the first time. The Infinity Saga that I saw was the first time that I saw the Infinity Saga. I didn't have a memory, you know, of the different versions where uh, where Thanos is trying to uh, court death by collecting these. I, the version that I saw was the MCU's version of this, but I think there is enough here to take a look at in a one-hour episode of a show
1: to compare and contrast them. So, at their essence. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, what we have to find. That's the essence of who they are. Yes. The Avengers are the heroes that band together, decide to band together to defeat the threats that no one hero can defeat alone. Mm -hmm. In the films, they're put together by Nick Fury, but they make the decision to come together at the end. He's planted seeds that they finally, they have to sort of figure it out themselves.
0: Right. In the MCU, it's because of the death of Phil Coulson that really... That's what they're avenging in that first that Avengers them movie.
1: Together. But Loki is involved in both the original comic right. book and the film as well. He's one of the big bads of Marvel and also hero, anti-hero, you know, sort of skirting the line mm-hmm. as Loki does. The X-Men are outsiders who are shunned by society, who are hunted down by the government and are more dynamic as a group because their main villain, Magneto is one of them and Mm -hmm. he and professor x who are old friends have their flip sides of the same coin they don't want to hurt one another but you have magneto who's a holocaust survivor as he is in the films as well Mm -hmm. who has seen firsthand what happens when a group of people are systematically separated and identified and hunted down and his, but that's also mixed with this perverse thing of we are the next stage of evolution. Yeah. We are, we
0: are Humans superior. Are, he has that. He has a combination of the, I've seen what people who think they are superior do to people they think are inferior, but also
1: we are superior. Yes. And we, are, we must destroy them. And Charles yeah. Xavier is like, we, sh- you know, they don't understand. They need to be given a chance and his power is very much. Rooted in compassion and understanding and the ability to communicate with people as much as it is take over their minds and make them do stuff or make them see things. would you argue that I think that there is,
0: and we can jump right into this? Sure, I have written down a way I think that we could break this down and take a look at it, but you mentioned something just then uh is compassion, and I think that that gets to the root of sort of the mission statement of these two different groups, and that's one thing that the x men has and at its mission core is the compassion for the plight of a person who has this mutant gene, the allegory in, you know, when it was created of what that means to be other. And that is a thing that is much more human than what the mega, super giant Avengers are doing in fighting off planet wide threats. But before we jump into that, I would like to throw out a way that I think we can break this down. If we're going to try to figure out objectively Avengers or X-Men. I thought about this a lot. I think that the way to, a way to look at this where we can find enough differences within these categories is such. We look at the origins of the group. We look at the mission of the group. Then we look at individual characters within those groups. Then we look at internal conflicts and leadership within those groups. And finally, the quality of the film adaptations of these stories.
1: Does that seem like a fair way to approach it? Sure. I do want to point something out though, before, because yeah. you brought up sort of the, the, what it is to be a mutant versus what it is to be the people who are in the Avengers who are wide and varied. Almost every hero yeah. you can think of in the comics has been an Avenger at one point, whether it's honorary or if they mm. have, they actually have cards they had ID, like ID cards, you're a card carrying yeah. member of the Avengers. Almost everybody has been, an Avenger, The entirety of the Fantastic Four, several of the X-Men, mm-hmm. Beast was an Avenger, like a main Avenger for a long time. So there's been a lot of crossover there. The difference to me is mutants don't ask for their abilities. And they don't know that they have them oftentimes until they hit puberty. And then they mm-hmm. manifest and they have to – they're left alone to deal with these things. They didn't build a suit because they were held prisoner. They didn't volunteer to be a super soldier. Right. or was born a god With the exception of Bruce Banner, who was the product of experimentation he was doing. All these things were either brought on by the people themselves by choice or by accident. But the mutants, they have no say. Every time Wolverine's claws pop out, it causes him tremendous pain. He's just able to heal. And he's not going to, with the exception of the times he has, he lives an incredibly long time. So he carries a lot of pain with him. From all of the lives that he's lived, which they get into a little bit in the film. But just Mm -hmm. that's just an interesting distinction to me. At least the original lineups of both are made up of people who are learning to control a power they didn't ask for versus a bunch of people who were already heroes in their own right before coming together. And that's before Captain America even came out of the ice. I think that was Avengers number five, maybe, where they found him. I wonder if, and again, like most of my knowledge,
0: and so if we stick to, it'll be a little easier for me, the versions that we get in all of the movies, which is that, you know, those particular timelines. But it seems, like, but again, that particular timeline is one of the, you know, the these are major timelines within the comics and the movies, but these are the ones that we know now. It seems like if we're looking at the origins of them, there is that sort of, you mentioned compassion before, and the fact that the mutants don't want to be Mutants necessarily, or they didn't act, not that they don't want to, but they didn't ask to be mutants. So the origin, I think is an interesting thing to start with of this, whether it's Nick Fury or Professor X. You know what I mean? Is Xavier trying to Nick Fury from the beginning is trying to create a group to fight against threats. Is that part of Xavier's plan as well? Or is his primary directive? to help these kids live their best lives or is it to craft these kids into a group that can fight
1: off threats i think they're there to protect both mutants and humans alike i think Mm -hmm. xavier is smart enough to know he can't avoid a fight but also smart enough to know he's not going to go looking for one so they have what they need to get the job done but at the same time it's also an active school they are trying to teach these kids they are trying to give all these people who may never fight for them a chance to feel like they belong somewhere. So he's not like building a secret army, mm-hmm. but he has people who are lined with his cause, who are willing to go and, and fight for him where needed. And they're not looking to kill the other, <laughs> the other sure. side, you know, no mutant wants to kill a mutant, but they do. Magneto's not going to let anybody stand in his way. He'll do what he has to do, but he doesn't, but he might not want to do. What do you think's fury's primary directive. I I, start a secret army. I have, I have a problem with fury being the guy who brings the Avengers together. It worked well for the film to have that character be, I, that just wasn't what I grew up with.
2: Mm -hmm. It's still, what what, what did you grow
1: up with? I I grew up with the Avengers that came together as five heroes to fight things, you know, after defeating Loki, they're like, we should keep doing this because there are threats out there that no one of us can defeat on his or later on her or their own. So we're going. Well, well, okay. Well, then, then it's primarily threat based. The idea is the same. The idea Mm -hmm. is that the general idea is the same that there are in the films. It's the threats that we can't as, as regular human beings, even as this high tech covert government agency, there are things that we can't fight that are there. And that comes the reason why, as we find out is because at a younger, you know, in the nineties in the Captain Marvel film, Nick Fury's exposed to. The idea that there are extraterrestrial threats. There are aliens that are already here. It's not assumed. So having seen that, he knows that there are possibly bigger things that are coming down the pike. So he wants to put a group of people together. That's the end of that movie is him starting to type the Avengers initiative. So he wants to find, hey, if Carol Danvers exists, then there must be other people that exist. So I'm going to try to track and identify these people. We've already had Captain America. Ant-Man and the Wasp have already existed. So they've already been super powered people, but now it's time to bring them together.
0: I mean, Nick Fury has more get up and go than I have. If I found out that aliens were real, I would probably just buy an RV and get off the grid and get as far from the aliens as possible.
1: But you also did pick this topic and say, let's just stick with the movies. Yeah. <laughs> that would be easier you're not putting together a bunch of superpower people you're like hey no i'm sticking with the movies exchange emails
0: you have to put a quarter in the uh comic book jar every time we yeah every time we veer
1: we this is veering (laughs) those movies are built on depending on when they were made 40 to 60 years worth of source material you hate this, don't you? No, uh, no. what I don't like is... You, I can tell like, you hate this. No, 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 no. I, I don't hate this. I'm into the conversation. I don't like the idea of, I've only seen the movies, so let's only talk about the movies. If I'm saying if you want to do the topic, we should each... Yeah. I'm bringing my limited comic knowledge. You're bringing your experience with the films. We're going to discuss and compare them and then see if there's an answer we can come to. It can't be every time you mention the source material I haven't read then i'm gonna make you put a quarter in a jar i'll fill that jar with quarters i'll smack in the head with it how about that perfect and it'll make it it'll make the avengers envelope i'll get it on the on the bottom
0: oh my god you'll get that but you'll have to do a backwards a on the bottom what is a backwards a is just an a
1: yo the arrow I'll be pointing the other way
0: oh that's fair i guess an a is a symmetrical it's a palindrome of a letter sure yeah all right
1: like an o like, a, or
0: like, like all of the letters in Toyota, because every time I drove past it on the way to Disneyland, the billboard that said Toyota, it said Toyota. Every time I drove back, it said Atoyat. <laughs> because none of those letters look any different backwards. No, they don't. They don't. They are all the same. We are the same, all of us. Well, let's talk about then some of the primary characters within these individual worlds. Yes. And this I would like to stick with the versions that I know. Being like, yes, Beast. You would, of course. But look, yeah, you're like, well, Beast was an Avenger. Yeah, I don't think of Beast as an Avenger. I think of Beast as primarily an X Man. Which yes. do you think of, Kelsey Grammer or Nicholas Holt? And now I think of Nicholas Holt. I used to think of Kelsey Grammer, but now I think of Nicholas Holt because I have the memory of a goldfish, and Nicholas Holt was my most recent version of Beast. Mm-hmm. Side conversation, real quick. Do you like the newer versions of the like First Class and Beyond of the X Men movies, or are you partial to the original versions?
1: I think there are hits and misses in both. Yeah. I liked first class, even as like I love bizarre, first class. as bizarrely jumbled as they were with it. Mm-hmm. I always have a problem. My memory, maybe I'm wrong is that Alex Summers, who is havoc is the younger brother of Scott Summers, who is Cyclops, not someone who is decades older than him. Cause the timeline is so it's like the Cuban missile crisis. Mm-hmm. Then he's the same age <laughs> in Vietnam. Then he's the yeah. same age again in uh not days of future past maybe it is days of future
0: days past. of future past is so they kill days of future past is uh the cuban missile crisis one
1: no that's no first, first class is the cuban missile crisis one. first class okay. is cuban missile crisis days of future past is the one that ends at candlestick park right i, guess, I think i think it's candlestick it, it ends at the state at a stadium yeah yeah so be, I, I there's no i like nicholas holt's version i thought kelsey grammar was actually well cast in terms mm-hmm. of how i think of beast how he speaks how kind of dry he is mm-hmm. and nicholas holt is a very good actor and he was enjoyable in it but it's also weird to see beast as like a live and thin character because even the original comics he was like a stocky he was a stocky guy he could still grab yeah. things with his feet but he hadn't mutated with the blue fur yet that came later and even that version was like a stocky, muscular guy, like a little bit more beast-like. They thickened like, him up though
0: when he turned blue in the movies,
1: right? A, a little, not that much.
0: Not, not like, not like they thickened up Kelsey. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that they both play like super genius. I mean, Beast is a super genius. So who are the mm-hmm. actors you get to play him? You get Frasier and Q. All right. That makes sense. Those are the two guys that are going to play this super genius. Yep. Who can still, you know, whoop some ass as a, uh, as a comic book. Character. The idea of Kelsey Grammer in a comic book movie is uh, just delightful. Anyway,
2: to me, yeah,
1: that movie I don't care for. The first one, X. No, that one is X or X two. X three. The Last sand is the one. Is the only one in which he appears full time. He does appear in Days of Future Past when Wolverine returns to his timeline mm-hmm. and has set everything right. Then you get like, oh, here are the original cast members that we haven't seen. We haven't seen Famke Jansen since was it X three. Mm-hmm. she explodes and Scott Summers dies at the beginning of that movie as well. Right. So, you know, we get to see them again that he's brought that stuff has come back. He's in a better timeline and part of that is getting to see that scene Kelsey Grammer's beast one more time.
0: That scene at the end of X3 where Wolverine is just falling apart and still walking toward her. Mhm. Oof. That is hard to look at, just like because it, it's 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 romantically uh, you know heartbreaking, but also oof, just watching a human body go through that is rough. <laughs> so the core characters within the X Men, we talked a little the bit films. about Beef. The films. the films, yes, yeah, yes. I'll keep
1: saying that within the well, films, it's just different iterations. It doesn't really sure. matter. Everyone you're going to say is correct because they've been like somebody grew up. You know, the X-Men I grew up with primarily were the Wolverine X-Men were the ones starting in 75 and going Mm -hmm. through, through a lot of the eighties, which is the
0: primary ones from the 1990s cartoon as well. Right? Yes. yes. Cyclops, uh, Jean Grey, Wolverine, Charles Xavier, Magneto, all of those, the characters that are all,
1: all of the movies. Yes. They tried to sever them and like Cyclops was the only one who stuck around for a while. And then Mm -hmm. Jean Grey came back and that led to the dark Phoenix saga. So, yeah, that, a lot of those, they use a lot of people that they would use in that animated series, a lot of whom are were either extremely popular at the time, like Gambit, mm-hmm. Rogue, who were newer ex-people, or, yeah, I mean, Wolverine's one of their most popular characters of all. But, the you know, great Len Cyclops in there as well. Yes, the great Len Wien.
0: All right, let's take a quick ad break, and then we will jump right back into this. But in the meantime, please enjoy hearing about some of the other wonderful podcasts on the Maximum Fun Network. Hi, I'm Dan McCoy.
1: I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalin. And the three of us host The Flop House. It's a podcast where we watch a new bad movie and then we talk about it. Dan, you say it's hosted by the three of us, we've had a lot of great guest co-hosts like Gillian Flynn, Jamel Bowie, John Hodgman, Jessica Williams, Wyatt Snack, Joe Bob Briggs, Josh Gondelman, Roman Mars. Yeah, and you said new movies, but what about the time we did Meatballs 2? Okay, okay, yeah, sometimes we do older movies and sometimes we have guests, but mostly it's about us talking about like recent bad movies. And don't forget about the ones where i made you do a role-playing game where you played cartoon dogs all right yeah shouldn't a promo be a really simple explanation about what our show's about so what's the show about dan what's it about (laughs) what's it about Uh, it's about
0: friendship all right it's about our friendship and how we love each other
1: the flop house it's a podcast mostly about bad movies on maximum fun do you sometimes wonder whatever happened to the
2: kids at your school who really loved star trek You might remember a kid like me, the one who read the Star Trek novels and built Starship models. I also took music classes to avoid taking gym classes that required showering after, but I don't see what that really has to do with... Or a kid like
0: me. I introduced myself to kids at my summer camp one year as Wesley, but when the school year started and some of those kids were in my new class, I actually had to explain to my friends that I had tried to take
2: on the identity of my favorite Star Trek character. The shame haunts me to this day. I'm sure some of those Star Trek fans from your childhood grew up to have interesting and productive lives but we ended up being podcasters
1: on the greatest discovery
2: you'll hear what happens to two lifelong star trek fans who didn't grow up to be great people they just grew up to be people who love jokes as much as they love trek so listen to our new episodes every week on maximumfun.org or wherever you get your podcasts and we're back back.
0: All right. We talked a little bit about, are there any other X-Men
1: that you want to mention that? like, I mean, I'm sure there are a ton of them. I, mm-hmm. There are some that I don't, I don't think Angel ever got the, the treatment in, in film that he, like, if they, for being of one him, of the like, originals, they kind of play him as like Frankenstein's monster. He was like a rich kid. Yeah. He was a rich kid who spread of wings. They got into it a little bit, but he never really got a character in any version that they did him. They brought him in in the last stand. He was in apocalypse. It just like, it was very weird to see him done. I liked seeing Iceman mm-hmm. in the films. I didn't, I, it's, that one's kind of hard to do in a way that, cause he looks like Chris Star in the comics, just a dude made out of ice. He goes bald yeah. and he's ice everywhere. So it's, I haven't seen a version of him on film that I've liked because it's so far. When something goes that far from the comics that, that I don't enjoy as much because I know, you know, you have the the advantage of not being like you can see a character for 30 seconds and they're not particularly deep, and you might go, Oh, well, I guess I didn't really have to think about them. But somebody who's read the books will see that and go, that's a really interesting character. Or that character has a lot more backstory and a lot more depth to them than you're portraying them with here. You almost might as well not have them in the movie. Except you need someone who can fly around.
0: Would you rather have the parade of recognizable characters or would you rather have them stick to two or three characters that they deeply dive into well?
1: I don't think you need to deep dive into everybody. I think you need – there needs to be a reason why everybody's there. I did love Nightcrawler in X2. Mm-hmm. I thought Alan Cumming was great. Oh, he brilliant. They like barely got into – I mean, he was a circus before. He was a circus freak. So there is like a showman aspect to him, and there is like a bombastic kind of personality that was missing from the films. They played him as scared, he was, and I like the way they used his mutant ability in there of being able to teleport. But it, again, like you, I guess you have to pick and choose what you can use for a film. But that it feels like a major personality trait was missing from him. Do you think that they did with the movies, do you think
0: that they, with the X-Men specifically, uh, you know, looking at X-Men versus Avengers, it seems to me like the X-Men all have one thing, you know what I mean? Iron Man's got a million things he can do, Uh, Captain America has a million things he can do, it feels like the X-Men are so individually specialized within the movies.
1: You have a mutant ability, but like, Colossus' is one thing is he turns into a giant metal version of himself. Who's got increased mm-hmm. endurance and speed and strength. So it is one thing, but it also like Magneto is a master of magnetism. But what does that mean? It means he can control everything. Metal inclu- it means he can also interact with the magnetic fields of the earth and make himself fly. Like it's a much deeper
2: yeah.
1: power. Like I do l- like a lot of the Avengers are punch, kick, punch, kick. Yeah. Captain America in the films, he's punch, kick, punch, kick. And I love Captain America and he's got the shield. Hulk is punch, kick, punch, kick. Thor is punch, kick, punch, kick with lightning. Yeah. Black Widow is punch, kick, punch, kick. Plus, I'll shock you with what's on my hands.
0: And Iron Man is punch, kick, punch, kick. Plus, I will shoot you with what is on my hands. He's lazy. And what's on my feet.
1: His real power is his intellect. Yeah. That he can build these things. The suit, you know, you can separate him from the suit and kill him real easy. But somebody, you know, he's by and large, his greatest ability is his intelligence. And the same with. Uh, You know, Mr. Fantastic, who's smarter than him, has Mm -hmm. an ability to go along with it. So, like, there are different people. There are a lot of really smart people who also have abilities to go with it. The fact that he stands toe-to-toe with them in a metal suit, which Magneto could destroy him just by having it crush his body. Yeah. You know? That is one thing that I think that they
0: do really well. One thing I like about the X-Men is that they they really mine the concept of whatever that superpower is for, or whatever that, I'm sorry, whatever that mutation is for everything that it can mean. Meaning, what does it mean to be able to be the best mind reader? Well, in what ways does a brain control a human body? So, Professor Xavier can make people physically move their bodies. He can find that you know every every possibility that a human uh, with that ability what what that could mean is explored. What every possibility of this person controls metal could mean is explored.
1: I don't remember them getting into this too deeply in the films, which I haven't watched in a little while. But in mm-hmm. the comics, one thing that was kind of cool was when the X Men were out on a mission. Professor X would stay behind and and psionically link all of them so they could communicate without speaking. So they didn't need the earpieces that the Avengers all use, which like is Hulk wearing an earpiece when they're out in the field? Because he (laughs) can hear them and he's (laughs) responding to things when they're not standing right next to him.
0: I like the idea that he keeps losing it. Guys, I lost – I got real big and I lost my earpiece again.
1: Hulk lose earpiece. Hulk lose earpiece in somewhere in, in Eustachian tubes. Now, Smart smart Hulk could do it. He could build himself something that would stay in his ear, but the more animalistic Hulk. Hulk Smash Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. Smash Hulk could not. He would just lose it.
0: We talked a lot about the X-Men characters. Let's talk about some of the Avengers, some of the big guns on that list. They've got to be more than just punch, kick, punch, kick.
1: I mean, it's more about their abilities that really what they play up really well in the films is a bunch of people who essentially want the same thing but have Mm -hmm. have fundamental disagreements on how it should be done that's what leads tony to build ultron and he's informed everyone's informed by their trauma in some way and iron man's trauma was being out in space and seeing those aliens and almost dying in trying to save the world and rerouting that missile and he suffers Mm -hmm. from ptsd after those events, of course he would. Like, he's not, he's not a superpowered guy. He's not like somebody, you know, Captain America and Thor have seen battle throughout their lives and hulk bruce banner doesn't know what the hulk is doing like he's not aware of it as much everybody else is a hardened fighter who has that experience he doesn't he was an arms dealer who became in a guardian because of the suit that he built so he suffers from ptsd and all he wants to do is stop that from happening he knows how bad the threat is going to be so he wants to build a suit of armor around the world and he winds up creating a robot who decides the best way to do that is to eliminate humanity because they're the greatest threat to the planet earth and then he's suffering from breakdowns in iron man 3 and then he wants Mm -hmm. to sign the sokovia accords because he carries such tremendous guilt about all the collateral damage they've created which is extensive there's collateral damage all over marvel comics and films do you think that the avengers characters are do you think their why
0: generally is more complex than the X-Men specifically because it seems like Tony Stark has this super you just laid it out beautifully has this super specific why he does what he does Natasha Romanoff has a super specific and very different why she does what she does do the X-Men suffer at all from having a similar why meaning I am a mutant. I don't know how to deal with these powers. Now I know how to deal with these powers and I want to save other mutants or I want to stop the one who is trying to treat mutants all as superior.
1: I don't know. It's not, you know what I mean? Yeah. And not every, it, the interpersonal dynamics are what make it interesting, right? The conflict between mm-hmm. Wolverine and Cyclops and Gene Grey, that love triangle is, is interesting. Way better in the comics than in the films. Mm -hmm. I think they had to rush it along. But, you know, there are a lot like Storm's got a real interesting backstory. You don't really hear anything about it at all. You don't even get into it in Apocalypse where she just sort of shows up and then gets switched over. Like there's no – that's the embarrassment of riches when you're making a comic book film is you have to make the intentional decision of who you're going to relegate to the bench Mm -hmm. and who you're going to bring up to the front. And really the people where you know the why the best – are Professor X and Magneto and Wolverine because you cannot have Wolverine in that film and not make him, he's the star of every movie that he's in. Yeah. And Hugh Jackman did a great job playing him. He like made people maybe forget that instead of being 6'3", he's supposed to be like 5'9 or 5'7". Like Wolverine is another small stocky dude. Yeah. And got played by like, what, a 6'8 Australian? (laughs) He's he's very tall.
0: Look, all I I know is Wolverine is roughly my height. You right. know, in
1: significantly first, stronger and better, but roughly my height. In the first film, it's like uh it's like the movie Dutch. He's like, Hey kid, <laughs> you're with me now. I'm gonna turn my ring around and and hit this guy on the forehead. But in Isn't this- his last movie, Hey Kid, you're with me now?
0: That's his <laughs> yeah. full circle is Wolverine going, Hey kid, you're with me
1: now.
2: Yes. Well it's his kid.
1: Yeah. It's his daughter. Um the best Outside of Logan, which is an exceptionally made film, Mm -hmm. I think the best Wolverine that we ever got was in X2. This was the first time we saw him killing people. Like, he is – his internal struggle is that he's part animal. That The animal is never too far from the man. And so he can lose himself in rage like he does in that film when they storm the compound because he's an animal who senses that the rest of his group is in danger. So it's just him and a bunch of kids. So he goes and kills that soldier. You're like, talking about in the complex. In X2. And the, the the whole fight where he helps them fight their way out and escape. Yeah. And you get that moment of, was it Daniel Pudmore who played Colossus? Who was like, I can help. And he said, no, you stay behind. Whereas that's like a great, that was the great team up. They had the fastball special where he would throw a Wolverine at people. <laughs> but again, you can't get into that. All you can do is give those little like amuse-bouche moments. For comic book fans, which can be gratifying, but also can be very frustrating because you like, oh, I wish we could get more of that. Which one of the movies was
0: the most frustrating for you between the Avengers movies and the X Men movies?
1: What? The Avengers movies, I, there weren't any that frustrated me outright. I think Age of Ultron is a step below, mm-hmm. is a full step below the other ones, probably a middle of the pack movie. Not that it doesn't have really good moments. James Spader is a great villain. Mm-hmm. but oh for, and also we got <laughs> wanda we got wanda with an accent in that movie wanda with an accent yeah and quicksilver we got the scarlet witch mm-hmm. and well not scarlet witch she was still wanda at that point she had not yet become the scarlet witch uh the, geez the third i think the third x-men film was disappointing for me mm-hmm. i was disappointed by apocalypse and i can't remember the one that came after it i did see it in the theater though and I did not care for that one of the, of the, the Matthew Vaughn era. If you only directed one of them, mm-hmm. Um I liked first class and I liked days of future past. I did not like any of the other ones. Dark Phoenix. Thank you. That Ken. was the other one. Yeah, that was the last one that was, that was disappointing to me. Has there been one of the two that has stuck more closely with the comics? They each draw things. I think that Marvel studio stuff is a lot closer is a lot more faithful to the spirit of the comics than 20th century Fox was with those properties. I think they figured out how to make movies. You know, one of the things that the team that made the X-Men movies brought to it was the understanding that the mutants are outsiders and exploring that was important. You got a mm-hmm. lot more of that in first class. You got to see a lot more of him. Like, of course, Magneto's going to go down to Argentina to hunt Nazis and specifically the Nazis who killed his mother. Yeah. Like that. He's specifically looking for for that revenge. It's such a key part. And using that footage from the original X-Men film was really good. That was a really powerful sequence. That movie, I don't think for me, holds up as well. That's my favorite of the X-Men movies. The original one? No, the uh is uh, First Class. First Class. First Class is a very good movie. It's so weird how jumbled all of it feels to me. Just because I'm seeing like, this isn't the original. He could have just put together the original group. You get Cyclops. You get Jean Grey. You get Iceman. You get Beast and Angel. That's your original lineup, and mm-hmm. that would have been a fine lineup for that. But Jennifer Lawrence was great as Mystique, and I don't know, it it got to a point where, and they do this in Days of Future Past, where like they they're implying Magneto's Quicksilver's dead, so they're having fun with that. But it's just sort of like there's so much there's so much to pick out that you can like in the movies, and so much you can pick out that you you might not like. I think overall. Marvel has a better batting average. And if, if we're picking it solely on the films, I would say the Avengers because they are a better class of movie across the board collectively. I think that's that- what, that's what well, I was just going to get to that. I was going to get to the
0: adaptations of them as the, specifically the movie adaptations as one of the categories within this. It feels, yeah, it feels like the X Men movies are making more of a statement. The X-Men movies have more to say as allegories. And I don't know if that's the case with the comic books themselves, if they are that overtly allegories in the way that the movies are. Right. But, I yeah, I just think that the Avengers movies are higher quality movies. They're better. They're more fun. The characters we but by the time we got to the Avengers movies, we didn't have. A, we we never had a before the X-Men movies. We didn't have a Wolverine movie, a Jean Grey movie, a Cyclops movie. You know what I mean? By the time the Avengers rolled around in the MCU, we already know these characters well enough to love them.
1: Right. But that kind of echoes the comics. The first X-Men issue, they're already formed together. We're just introduced mm-hmm. to them. It's not how did Charles Xavier find these people. That's more something they get into in Giant Size X-Men number one when he has to go when he the The original team is believed to be mostly dead, and mm-hmm. only Cyclops comes out alive and Charles Xavier has to get a new team together to go rescue the rest of them and The other ones are like, "All right, we're going to take a break. Gene Gray maybe hangs around a little while, but you get to see him go and find all of these people to form a team, and they don't get along because they weren't all students at his school together, mm-hmm. so that's a really interesting look at. What does it mean to assemble? You can't assume just because they're superpowered people that they're going to work together really well. Like, let's explore the guy who thinks he doesn't need anybody else to help him. And, you know, the, the. Which guy are you talking about? I'm talking about, um, I think his name is John Proudstar, who, who dies like three issues into that run and they later brought him mm-hmm. back. But he was like, I don't need anybody. Thunderbird is his name. He, he's like, I can do this myself. I don't need anybody else. Which is kind of the same thing that Iron Man is doing with the yes, Avengers. But in a, di- a slightly different, slightly different way. It is, they're both born of pride, but it's a little mm-hmm. different. But I have to say, like, in terms of compelling characters, just as a group of characters, I think the X-Men are infinitely more interesting because they're almost always fighting from underneath because everybody hates them. The other mutants that want to take over and be the dominant species on Earth, hate the X-Men for getting in their way. Humanity hates the X-Men because they're mutants. There may be some people with whom they have good relationships who are willing to work with them in some capacity, but by and large, they're all painted with the same brush. They're all monsters. The Avengers, people want their pictures taken with them, and they're well-known people. Now, the Sokovia Accords maybe changes things in a certain way, and it's really smart how they handle that, that the ghosts of their past actions are coming back to haunt them. And forcing them to, to a reckoning of smart storytelling. That's a, a way to use what they've already laid down to incite storylines moving forward.
0: Do you, Let me ask you this then about that. You mentioned that. And this was one of the topics that I wanted to talk about was leadership and conflict. Because mm-hmm. you, you have two. You have the Sokovia Accords, which is. Camp Iron Man versus Camp Captain America with the Sokovia Accords being the one specific thing in the middle. In the X-Men world, you've got Charles Xavier versus Magneto. And that thing that is in the middle of them is should the mutants wage war on the humans and assert their dominance? Is there one of those two that rises to the surface as a more compelling conflict between the leadership creating their own factions within
1: the world? I think that requires an outside – it required an inciting incident for it to happen. Without Which one? Both Accord, of them? Yeah, without these Sokovia Accords, they likely could have moved on in some capacity. But that forced them to choose sides as opposed to – that's something external. Even though it came from them, yeah. this is the world's governments getting together and saying you're so dangerous that we can't allow you to go unchecked anymore because look at what you've done all around the world we owe you a debt but you're destroying all of our stuff so you Mm -hmm. have to be held accountable and it's very different the the comics was about registering every superhero had to register and reveal their identity which is why when spider-man did it in the comics and took his mask off at like a press conference with iron man that's a big deal Mm because he did not unlike the movies where he's taking his mask off just because it's hot under there (laughs) so somebody can see who he is every 30 seconds yeah well look you paid for
0: tom holland tom holland was expensive
1: so i think the inherent struggle of being a mutant it's not should we wage war because charles xavier isn't wondering whether he should wage war it's how can we coexist with a group of people who hate us and want us gone i think that is a more compelling story one believes they just need to learn and they don't understand and they're driven by fear and you can't You have to overcome that. And the other is I've seen what this type of attitude can do and I can't allow it. So I'm going to – I have to eliminate them because we're already better than them. This should be our planet. And even there, there's a lot more nuance to it. But if we're just ballparking it, I think it's much more interesting. And then you have the – then you have – go down a level who leads the team is it cyclops like it is in the comics is it wolverine because he's he's so uh, brash is it professor x who's rarely in the field with them or is it storm who's a leader in the co- like a, a lot of people have had their shot at the helm mm-hmm. but there's a power struggle even internally over how they're supposed to function as a team well it seems like the power struggle is like mm-hmm. the
0: two and i that's why i would i tend to agree with you that i think the x-men is more compelling storytelling and more classical storytelling in that you do have the two figures that represent the two opposing viewpoints that are internal that aren't based on Sokovia chords or any external force that it's just, we have this thing in common. Here's how I think we should deal with it, which is Charles Xavier says, here's how I think we should deal with it, which is what Magneto says, you know what I mean? And those two things being the primary, drivers of the narratives of each of those characters and the people that fall underneath them, I think is at the same time, more simple and more complex. Does
1: that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think if you look at the rich history, I think the X-Men are endlessly more fascinating. I think there's more depth to them. Mm -hmm. Isn't to say that the Avengers are shallow, but if you're going by quality of films, it's the Avengers by a long shot. I don't care how good Logan was. And yeah. very good. It doesn't make up for X-Men Origins Wolverine or X3 or Dark <laughs> Phoenix or Apocalypse.
0: Yeah. Yeah. By and large, well, what the MCU has done is an amazing thing. Like, well, you know, we've heard it a million times and talked about it a million times. No movie studio has ever linked all of their movies together before. And the X-Men movies have come from multiple studios and multiple directors and multiple writers and multiple angles. But yeah, I think if we're just looking at the core of... Like at the heart of these two disparate groups, or if we're looking just at the heart of these two different storylines as a whole, I think that the X-Men and you put it well earlier. I think the idea that they're trying to save the world while the whole world hates them Mm -hmm. is so compelling and having the two camps of how do you deal with that? And the two different notions about either, no, it's all about unity versus screw these people, they hate us anyway, and we're better than them. I think that nudges me more toward X-Men being the superior of the two products.
1: Yeah, I think it's, I was going to ask you as someone who has really not read the comics at all, Mm -hmm. but has seen all every movie multiple times. Are you comfortable with saying the X-Men should be the winner here? I think that the I, look, I think
0: that I can divorce the movies themselves from the storylines. I can recognize what is at the core of each of these stories. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're, I think the storytelling in the Avengers films is superior storytelling, mm-hmm. but I think the story itself of the X-Men is superior to the story of the Avengers.
1: Yes. People of the world, here's what's interesting is not only do you have these two sides of the X-Men and the evil brotherhood or collective of mutants who are at odds as to how to deal with their role in the world, but you also have an entire group of mutants who are caught in the middle. Not all of them have crazy powers. Not all of them have powers that they want to use. They're embarrassed. They don't know what their identity is. They only know that nobody can find out who they are. And that is such a compelling struggle to see played out. And I look, I give kudos to the filmmakers for even tackling a lot of that Chris Claremont stuff. Like Days of Future Past is confusing. <laughs> it was something else in comic form to take it and adapt it. I think they did a pretty decent job. I was actually impressed watching it. Not that anybody has to impress me, but just as a fan, I was like, wow, this is way better than I thought it would be. Oh, that's right. John Byrne did plot that. I thought Chris Claremont was involved. Ken – Ken is having a conversation with me in the chat. I'm getting – Oh, no. I'm reading them too. I'm just – I just clicked them all. In my big announcement. I, By the way, I love John Byrne's artwork in almost anything, even the overly ornate Superman stuff he was doing in the 80s. Anyway, (laughs) all of this to say that because of their compelling inner conflict that they all share, I think that just makes for a greater depth of storytelling. And for that reason, we are going to choose the X-Men over the Avengers Asked and Answered. At long last. This one was on the list for a long time. This is yes, this is probably our funniest episode we've ever done. I don't think I've done anything outside I don't can't remember anything. I certainly didn't go on one of my patented California raisins runs and I apologize for that, but when you give me a topic I take seriously, I'm going to take it very seriously. You really do. It. Yeah. But it's settled Good. now, so we're beyond it. <laughs>
0: Well, this topic is closed, but there are many more topics to discuss, so
1: please reach out to us on Twitter at we Got this tweets, or you can email us at WeGotThisPodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to our Facebook group. That's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash WeGotThisPodcast, and you can tell us who you love and why. Tell us your favorite X-Men. Tell us your favorite Avengers. Tell us why you like one over the other. Let's have a fun conversation about it. Why don't we do that? Come on. Thank you to producer Ken Plume. Who has not only a wonderful podcast called A Bit of a Chat with Ken Plume, but a new video podcast you can find on his YouTube channel and at his Patreon, patreon.com slash Ken Plume, called Force 5, where he has guests on to reveal their five favorite Star Wars figures that they've collected. The first episode with Joseph Scrimshaw is now. Scrimshaw delightful. And it's wonderful. It's really fun to see all the toys, especially me who doesn't collect the toys that Joseph was showing. I appreciated them. and I love the reasoning of why he chose everything he chose. So check that out. Thank you also to researcher Kate McManus, graphic designer, Uri Kilman and QA engineer, Jen Alba. And thanks of course, to our musicians, Jonathan Dinerstein and Mike Furman for
0: our score and theme song respectively. And thanks to you, the people of the world with whom Hal and I would gladly attend a school for mutants. I don't know what your mutant power is, You don't know what my mutant power is, but we're all going to get along and save the world. So thanks for giving us an opportunity to sit and talk about things that clearly we love and are passionate about. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For Hal Lublin, I'm Mark Agliardi. For Mark Agliardi, I'm
1: Hal Lublin. And don't worry, everybody. We got this. We got this.
2: Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.